Welcome to another sci-fi podcast where we're going to examine today, again, how we think, feel, and behave with money. We're going to be talking about spend planning today and some fun stats to go with it. Now, sci-fi is where psychology and finance collide. So we're going to be talking about the psychology behind the things that we do financially and the things we know we must do financially, but the things we quite often do not do (laughs) financially. But put on your steel-toed boots and let me step on your toes just enough to get you to do something different. But as I'm stepping on your toes, please know that I'm also stepping on my own. From time to time, we professionals still need reminders of this is what also we must be doing. So I taught a class on May 4th entitled From Cash Flow to Cash Go, Creating a Realistic Spend Plan. And I have already created a podcast on spend planning, so this is going to have a little different flair to it. Because what I did yesterday in this May 4th class was I provided a live demonstration of how to build a cash flow analysis and how then from there to create a spend plan. And all you had to do was fill in the cells of this Excel spreadsheet. So you didn't have to build this spreadsheet at all. It was already created, but you just had to plug in the numbers. I use this as a form of exposure therapy because there are a lot of folks that do not have a budget or a spend plan. And you may not believe me, but believe me, most people do not have a budget or a spend plan. So this is going to be a gradual method of exposure therapy where I talk to you about it. I can't show you pictures, but I was showing pictures yesterday of the spend plan and other things that go with the spend plan. But in vivo, exposure therapy is going to be something that you do live when you finally complete your cash flow analysis or your spend plan. Now, I can provide a link to the actual cash flow analysis and spend plan. For some, it may not work because you may not be uh, within my organization to open that link. But if you are a Redstone Arsenal employee and you can't open that link to the spend plan, you can call me and we can set up an appointment to actually build this from the ground up. We talked about what a cash flow statement is. It's an income and expense statement, which answers where you've been. A balance sheet, which is your net worth statement, answers where you are. And that's simply where you add up all your liabilities. That means all your debts or remainders of balances of loans, balances of mortgage, you know, that type of thing. Those are all liabilities. And you subtract that from all of your assets, what you have in your TSP, what you have in your savings accounts, uh, what you have in other investments or IRAs. 
and then uh, maybe even uh, the the worth of your your car, but definitely the worth of your home and what it would sell for today. Subtracting all your liabilities from your assets will give you that net worth. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. And then, of course, you have your spend plan. You create a spend plan from your cash flow analysis by creating a plan for your money, giving every dollar a job so it answers where you want to go. All right. I don't want to belabor the point of the actual spend plan, but I want to get into some psychology behind creating this spend plan and what folks in the survey said what their barriers are when it comes to creating and following a spend plan. Some of the barriers noted in this particular class, the person telling themselves or himself, herself, I can do it all myself. That is a barrier for this person. We were not meant to do anything alone. Okay, there are a lot of things that we're going to need help with. And so when I talked in my previous uh, podcast on delegating financial burnout, this is where you can delegate that financial burnout that you're contending with so that you can feel freer and more confident to actually move forward and create a spend plan. Maybe you need someone to sit down with you and actually put the numbers in for you. I had a client do that once. Normally, I have clients complete the the form and send it back to me before our session just with basic numbers. But this person came in and didn't complete anything. She was that stuck. And then she felt the need to explain every single cell where we were putting the data into. And now someone could easily get frustrated with that, but I felt for her. I empathized with her because I thought, wow, she ha- this has been a long time coming. She's finally here. She's finally doing something about it, but you could see the anxiety. It was palpable in the room. If you need someone to sit with you to actually put the numbers in for you, you can do that too. Here's another barrier, lack of knowledge on certain topics. But who's responsible for learning that knowledge? When we are managing our finances, we all have a certain level of responsibility and understanding the basics. I don't expect you to understand all the ins and outs of investments. I don't even take the time to learn the ins and outs of investments. I know the basics, but I don't, I'm definitely not a broker. I have no desire to be, and I have no desire to learn everything that they know. And that's okay. But we have to have a basic level of knowledge. And if we don't know, there are many avenues where we can find that information. But please, don't go searching for that information on YouTube or TikTok, okay? People who are trying to tell you how to fix your credit, they get it wrong. (laughs) So don't do it. Or how to consolidate your debt. Oh my goodness, you're going to be paying fees out of the nose. So there are a lot of things that you can do yourself, but you need to get in the right hands of the right professional or right person to give you the right information. Another barrier constant setbacks. And the reason that remains a barrier is because nothing changes. So to get out of that barrier, this person has to do something different, obviously. But it's not that easy, Olivia. And don't I know it. As a therapist, I know that it is not as easy as saying, oh, here's all you have to do. 
because that's not what's going to happen. There needs to be this time. There's this gap of learning new information and actually applying new information. So that's okay. We have to find where we are in that level of change. Another barrier, feeling too limited in spending, living more for tomorrow rather than today. Listen, this is someone who is a carpe diem person, someone who says, seize the day, baby, because tomorrow may never come. So yeah, these types of personalities are going to feel constrained and limited in today because they know they have to save for tomorrow. So I'm that type of person too. So I feel your pain. So this is where my husband comes into the picture, where I am not just saving for my retirement and I'm not just saving for my future to be comfortable, but there's also a level of people pleasing, which kind of caters to that same personality. So whatever's going to help you, and listen, not people-pleasing as in my husband's abusive and I feel like I need to do that. No, not not as not the case whatsoever. It is more so how he looks at me when I show him how much I've saved that month. That's a very personal thing. It's a very intimate thing. And whatever motivates you to do something different. So that's what I would say to my friend there. And here's another one, another barrier to following a spend plan. And I like how this person just put it quite simply, my spending. (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it, right? That'll continuously be a barrier to following a spend plan or maybe even creating one because you're too afraid to know what is actually on there. So with this class, I went over and, and and I used the analogy of planting your finances. And so I had images of pots and, and, you know, different succulents and things like that. And we can, we can treat our finances like we would with potting different plants and, and how we want our finances to thrive and how we want our plants to thrive. We need to shed light on our true numbers. What are we really spending? Here's what I normally hear. Well, Olivia, I track my spending through my credit card statements. That's not tracking. That is a system-generated report that lets you know it's more of a cash flow analysis without your income listed on there. It's telling you where your money's flowing, where it's going. That's not a spend plan. So we have to shed light on our true numbers. What are we truly spending every month on groceries? What are we spending every month on restaurants? Yeah, your credit statement can help you understand where you're doing that. But sometimes you have cash and you're dropping some, you know, 20 bucks here and there at Publix or, or somewhere else. And, you're, and it's not being tracked on that credit statement. So we need to make sure that we are shedding light on these true numbers. Sometimes we have improper watering with our potted plants. So we have to learn how to spend mindfully and use physical cash so that we can avoid what we call spending leaks. And spending leaks sound or look something like this. Oh, Olivia, I only spend $300 a month on eating out. Okay, well, let's track those true expenses for three months and see what you're really spending on eating out. Come to find out it's double that number. So did you know that last year we spent $26.5 million 
on meal delivery. This is not the total number on restaurants and eating out. This is just meal delivery alone. That's a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> and not all, no longer is it just Pizza Hut and um, Chinese food being delivered. Now it's everything under the sun. Anything your heart desires can be delivered. So anything your heart desires will also require an extra fee for that delivery. Here's another thing when it comes to improper watering or avoiding spending leaks, which will just cause that potted plant to overflow, your finances to just start to uh, rot at the root because it's, it's not being watered properly, is we live in a cashless society. It keeps us from feeling a sense of loss. Here's the psychology behind that. Loss aversion is a behavioral economics term which describes why a lot of people don't invest in their retirement because they are so loss averse. They don't want to lose their money. And gosh, with all the stories about the banks and their issues, a lot of people are finding it even more averse. <laughs> so I would tell you that that is a mechanism used in a negative way, but we want to use that human loss aversion to our benefit when it comes to spending money. If we have cash, we are less likely to spend. Let me say that again. If we have cash in our hands, wherever, wherever that expense you're struggling with the most, whether it's clothing, accessories, fun money, extra spending money, whatever the category is, if that's what is causing you to overspend, create an envelope system where you actually have physical cash set aside in that envelope and maybe multiple envelopes, breaking it up on fun money purposes. One where here's my massage money, here's my mani-pedi money, here's my shoe money, Here's my movie money. Here's my popcorn money to go with the movies. So you break it up that way. Then you visually, you engage all of your senses. You see the money. You smell the money. You can touch the money. You can even hear money. You shouldn't be eating it, so you can't taste it. You can taste it maybe if you bought the popcorn. But all four senses will be engaged when you start pulling that money from the envelope. And then your brain starts to second guess what you're doing. Ooh, if I only have 20 bucks left in this envelope, maybe I need to slow it down a little bit. And maybe I'll think a little bit differently about where I'm going to spend that money. So the other thing I would say about spending plan issues is overcrowding. So, you know, when you plant, you have a potted plant and you have maybe a different species of flower with another flower and, and the roots of one flower start to choke out the other one and the other one dies. It's the same thing with the spend plan. When you start categorizing and lumping everything into one expense block. So entertainment might for you include movies, bars, clubs, date nights. You need to break them all into four different categories. We need to create space for every expense. And here's another thing how you can avoid overcrowding is set up bill pay and allotments. 
So that now we talked again in a previous episode, we talk about delegating financial burnout. This is a great way to delegate financial burnout by setting up that bill pay, having a robot doing the work for you so you don't have to write a check every time or setting up that allotment for money to go directly into your savings account so you don't even get to see it. You don't even get to touch it. So those are ways to avoid that overcrowding as well. So here's some things that I want to give you some insight on as we get into the remainder of this podcast. Another article that kind of crossed my line of vision as I was checking my work email, and you are allowed to click on a new story if, if it pertains to your profession. So I did. I opened it up. This was written by Michelle Smith with Finance Buzz. And it's entitled 10 Signs You're Doing Better Financially Than the Average American. So here's the first one. You have more than $4,500 in savings. Wow. More than half of Americans, 51%, have $5,000 or less stored in savings accounts. That's according to a Motley Fool uh, survey. Additionally, 35% had $1,000 or less saved. So yeah, you should give yourself a pat on the back for if you have more than $4,500 in savings. But remember, you, you need to get to work in saving more because you're supposed to have at least three months of expenses. Expenses, not three months of a paycheck, but three months of expenses paid. And for most of us, that's going to be more than $4,500. So don't mean to kill your joy if you have that, but absolutely work a little bit harder to go a little further with that. Here's another one. If you have more than 30000 in your 401k, you're doing better financially than the average American. But don't pat yourself on the back too quickly. Vanguard's How America Saves 22 report revealed that ages 34 to 44 had 36117 in their 401k. Ages 45 to 54 had 61,530. Let me pick on the age group of 45 to 54 for a moment. If you only have $61,530 in your 401k, do not pat yourself on the back. That is not even close to where you need to be. Just because you're saving more than the average person doesn't necessarily mean you're saving enough. But at least you have something. Hopefully you're in the positive net worth that we'll talk about in a moment. So here's the third one. Your credit score is higher than 680. Here's what's sad to me, though. The average credit score for Americans aged 18 to 25 is 679. That's expected for young adults. But only slightly higher at 687 for those aged 26 to 41. Uh Uh-uh. From there on out, you need to have a higher credit score. You have lived longer. You had more time to establish credit, more time to pay your bills. There's absolutely no reason you can't have a higher credit score. Here's the fourth one. If you can cover an emergency of more than $2,000, you're doing better than the average American. Because the Motley Fool survey found that 47% of Americans have an emergency fund they can tap into if they need money suddenly. The median amount in such accounts is $2,000. However, other surveys have found that many people have far less saved, as little as none to a few hundred dollars. (laughs) So let's make sure we're building our emergency funds. Number five, you don't need to take out money 
out of your savings every month. That's because you have a well-planned budget. So keep that going if that's you. That's awesome. Now you can pat yourself on the back. Here's another good one, I think. If you have less than $6,500 in, in credit card debt, to me, that's still a lot of money in credit card debt. But if you have less than that, that is awesome, okay? Because it is crucial that you keep your debt low, especially if you plan to retire soon. Number seven, you keep tabs on your money. We just talked about the spend plan. We talked about uh, this gradual exposure therapy of getting you to create one. So here's how you continue to follow that spend plan as this author suggested. Manage your subscriptions, automatically save money, learn about your spending habits, track and understand your credit score, negotiate your bills, which yes, you can do that with your creditors, and learn how to budget. Wow, I'm here to help you with that, Team Redstone. Number eight, your total net worth is at least $100,000. Now, here's where I'm going to jump on the age thing again. If you're younger, you're probably, you're first starting out, you've got your first home, and which is a good thing when you buy your first home, you may not have a positive net worth. You may have a negative net worth, depending on how much that house costs. Maybe you're in the negative about $300,000. It's going to take you time to, you know, build your income, to continue to build your assets, to have a positive net worth. So yeah, when you're younger, it's okay to have a lower net worth. And, and according to Federal Reserve's 2019 Survey of Consumer Finances, the most recent survey, the median net worth for Americans aged 35 to 44 stood at 91300 But okay, so around that 35-year-old age, I think that's okay. But once you start hitting your 40s and above, you really need to be above 100000 in your net worth. They did say for Americans aged 45 to 54, the average number was 168,600. But listen, net worth is not the only way to measure your financial success. It answers the question of where you are now. But there might be assets that you're not truly measuring. So try to measure all of your assets before you're subtracting all those liabilities. Here's a, a number nine, you're on top of tax planning. So here's what the author says, while thinking about your taxes may not be the most exciting, tax advantage saving and investing can help you get ahead. And I talk a lot in my classes about those tax advantage savings within offered within the federal government, like the federal savings accounts that we have. Very easy to use with dependent care expenses and also with your health care expenses. Did you know that massage counts as a healthcare expense. All you have to do is submit your receipt and pay yourself back for it. So a perfect example this year, I put $4,000 into my FSA or flexible spending account, which saves me a projected $1,500 in tax liability. That's a no brainer. You divide that by 12 and that's over $150 a month that I'm saving. That could, that for you, that could be helping you pay down debt. That could be helping you build your savings, all that type of thing. So those are the tax advantages and tax sheltered programs just like that. Here's the last one. You are doing better than the average American if you pay your bills on time each month. According to a consumer finance report, 
almost 80% of consumers reported that they were living paycheck to paycheck. One in four consumers said they do not pay all of their bills on time. And one-fifth of adults expect to leave some regular monthly bills at least partially unpaid. We're all going to experience that from time to time, but shift your spend plan, reprioritize, rebalance, and that can help fix that problem. You might even have to take on a part-time job as a second job, or maybe even cut your grown adult children off so that you can meet your, your obligations. A lot of different things that you can do. But here's what the author says about the bottom line. She says, they say comparison is the thief of joy. So if you don't measure up to every single one of these metrics, take some deep breaths. And you know what? I would also parrot that from this author. It's okay that if, if you're not above average, but even if you are above average, staying at above average doesn't mean it's the best place to be. If you want to do even better than you're already doing now, consider setting up an appointment with me. I'd love to chat with you. But I will leave you with this. I hope you have at least a better than average day. <laughs>